Hi, I'm Yusuf Zin. My latest TVO Today podcast is on how a Canadian ends up in a Chinese prison, and if he's even alive. Listen and subscribe to Extradition. Available now, wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome, everyone, to a midsummer edition of the On Poly podcast. I'm Steve Pakin. And I'm John Michael McGrath. Today on the pod, let's get caught up on all things Ontario during the month of July, starting with double victory for the Liberals. The Ontario Liberals won two by-elections, both of which the governing Tories thought they'd take. Is there a bigger message for Premier Doug Ford in those losses? And speaking of the Liberals, if you can be President of the United States at age 80, can you be leader of the Ontario Liberals at age 63? We'll dive into the controversy about that. And there's a new fancy title for some Ontario lawyers, provided you're a Conservative or gave money to them. It's Tuesday, August 1st, 2023, so let's get to it. Darling, I have one question for you. Did you miss me? You know, that first week when we weren't doing the podcast, I was kind of like jittery and I kept thinking I was forgetting something. And then I'd gotten into this bit of a groove where I was like, ah, just no podcast. And then those by-election results came in. And I think I started to get the same itch you did where I was like, we got to record a podcast. We got to record a podcast. I had the same itch. Yes, indeed. And you know what? I actually thought about you last night. We should just say, in the interest of full disclosure here, you are at 2180 Young Street, Midtown Toronto. I'm up in Northern Ontario, uh, enjoying a little R&R, although it's a bit of working R&R. And I watched a documentary on TV last night, and and I thought about you. Have you ever seen Chaos on the Bridge? Oh, yes. Yes, yes. Uh, a few years ago, but that's a very, very good documentary. If there are any uh, Star Trek fans in the audience, which knowing us and knowing some of our listeners, I, I know there are, uh, very good documentary about the chaotic first season or two of Star Trek The Next Generation. Absolutely. Uh, narrated, written, and directed by William Shatner. So you got Captain Kirk there. You've got all of the angst around. Anyway, we won't go into details other than to say chaos on the bridge if you're a Trekkie is worth your time. There we go. Well, let's also highlight a series on our website, tvo.org, that has been running this summer. It's called Ontario Vision. This is a play, obviously, on Eurovision, and it's sussing out Ontario's so-called signature song. And some of the options, if you've been following it, include Helpless by Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young, The Old Apartment by The Bare Naked Ladies, and Bob Cajun by The Tragically Hip. You got a vote? JMM on what might be our signature Ontario song? I mean, Bob Cajun has a place in my heart because I was in high school when it came out and it always takes me back to the summer when I was 18. But that's not actually a recommendation for its Ontario-ness. So people (laughs) can, of course, feel free to disagree. (laughs) Well, you're not going to be very surprised at all at what gets my vote for Ontario's signature song. You ready? I'm ready. Give us a place to stand and a place to grow. Now, I know that's not one of the nominees, but when you think Ontario, I still think of that one. And if you're allowed to think back when you were 18 at Bob Cage, and if I think back to when I was 18, that was a big hit. I'm going to have to take your word for that. I I do not recall. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, of course, you were not even thought of at this point in uh, your parents' lives. Nobody's plans at that point. (laughs) (laughs) Well, let's put the question out to our listeners anyway. What do you think is... A signature Ontario song. It doesn't have to be an old corny one like mine. It can be rock and roll, uh, country, whatever else you like. Let us know at email onpolitics at tvo.org. Okay, on to issue one. 
the Premier has a hard time finding Ottawa on the map. And the only time he found Ottawa on the map was when he needed something, when he wanted something from the people of Canada-Carlton and the people of Ottawa. You can't treat people that way. They sent him a clear message. And I hope he got it. We'll see. That was a very happy interim leader of the Ontario Liberals at a news conference last week, commenting on the rather surprising by-election results. Yeah, John Fraser was smiling, that's for sure. Two seats, one in Scarborough-Guildwood, replacing former Liberal MPP Mitzi Hunter, one in Kanata-Carleton, replacing former Progressive Conservative Cabinet Minister Marilee Fullerton. And the Liberals swept them both. Now, by-elections obviously aren't necessarily intriguing stories, but I'd suggest these ones are, because the Tories had high hopes, high expectations of winning them both. Premier Doug Ford campaigned in them both, but the governing party, JMM, they came away with nothing. That's right. So let's uh, just run down the basics here. Uh, first, in Scarborough-Guildwood, Andrea Hazel is the new Liberal MPP. Now, you might say, big deal. The Libs just held a seat that they already had before uh, the election. This is the riding that Mitzi Hunter vacated when she ran for mayor of Toronto. So uh, arguably not a big shock that they held it. Not so fast. The PCs ran a star candidate, former city councillor Gary Crawford, a very uh, high profile uh, member of his community, budget chief for John Tory, uh, had won re-election just the uh, previous fall. So, uh, you know, big names backing big names. Doug Ford campaigned for him. John Tory did robocalls for him. So could have plausibly been a seat that the Tories could have uh, taken, and certainly uh, they were trying to, and they, they were quite public about it. Well, the fact that Gary Crawford stepped down, actually resigned his Toronto City Council seat that he didn't have to, in order, some would suggest, that he get the $120,000 severance that you get from standing down. That might have played a role in all of this. Regardless, Hazel wins it for the Liberals, 37% of the vote. Crawford well back at just 30% of the vote. Here's Andrea Hazel, the morning after by-election night at Queen's Park. And I promised them, I'm going to fight for your families. I'm going to fight all the way to Queen's Park. And guess what? I was up against Doug Ford, John Tory, and Gary Crawford. We win this. We are liberals and we're moving up and we're moving up with momentum. And we've got the best candidates and we're going to continue to move. Thank you. Now, let's move east to Canada-Carleton, even though that riding has only existed since 2015. That part of the province, in previous incarnations of that area, different riding boundaries, etc., well, suffice to say, it hasn't gone liberal in a century. Uh, it's long thought to be one of the safest Tory seats in Ontario, but it sure wasn't last week. No, this was a big upset. Uh, Karen McCrimmon, a former MP, uh, won. Uh, bit of a get for the Liberals, uh, as I mentioned, formerly an MP, so good name recognition there. A close race, uh, won by just two points, but a win's a win, uh, 34 to 32 percent. A difference of only 651 votes. Uh, I know we have said this before with close election calls, but people got to remember, your vote really does matter, and you can never know in advance when it's going to be a close race like this. All things being equal, I, nobody would say that this was a seat where the Tories should have had a hard time, much less should have lost. I think politics should be about making the lives of people better. That's what it should be about. And when I knocked on doors in, in Canada Carton, that's what people told me to. They need things to be better. And I'm going to help make that happen exactly. Erin McCrimmon spent 31 years in the military. She actually ran against Justin Trudeau for the federal liberal leadership 10 years ago. 
Uh, somebody actually asked her at the news conference, is she going to run now for the provincial leadership? Technically, she could. The uh, applications are still open if anybody wants to run. Anybody listening to this wants to run. Uh, but she confirmed she will not be running for the current leadership vacancy for the Ontario Liberals. And in fact, both new MPPs confirmed they have not yet decided whom to support in the current contest. Now, Steve, you know that I have a brand to maintain here. So would you like to know how local land use politics are important in this story? You know, I I was awake till three o'clock in the morning last night trying to think of the answer to that very question. So, yes, please put me out of my misery. (laughs) The Kanata Golf and Country Club in this riding is a a large piece of land, as golf clubs tend to be, uh, slated to be redeveloped with about 1,500 new homes. Uh, That has been extremely unpopular in the area, with residents saying that they are losing green space. The provincial government could, in theory, step in to prevent this redevelopment from happening, but they have not, in part because of uh, their position that the way to end the housing crisis is to get more homes built everywhere. But this government did step in to halt a similar golf course redevelopment in Oakville in the Western GTA. Uh, so you have not only the the local lightning rod issue of this specific land development, but there's also the undercurrent, sometimes a very explicit charge, that uh, this government under Doug Ford pays more attention to uh, Toronto and the GTA than it does to Ottawa. And that is, of course, a sentiment that came up again and again in this by-election. Let it never be said that we fail to find the land use angle in every podcast. Way to go, JMM. You put the puck in the net again. Now, we normally don't spend a lot of time talking about the parties that came third or worse when it comes to by-elections, but I think we should make an exception this time because there are some interesting storylines there as well. We saw a month ago that Olivia Chow won the Toronto mayoral by-election in part because of a very strong showing in Scarborough. She's, of course, a former NDP member of parliament, and the NDP did well in Scarborough, even if they did come third. Yes, they they usually do land in the third spot, as they did uh, this time, uh, often struggling to even crack, you know, double digits. But last week, uh, they captured 26 percent. Not a victory, uh, not even second place, but more competitive than usual in a part of Ontario that they haven't historically been extremely competitive. Right. Now, let's also take a look at the Green Party, because the Greens have been trying to convince Ontarians for a long time that they are more than just a one man band, namely their leader, Mike Schreiner, who remains their only seat in the legislature. But the results in both by-elections were just awful for the Greens. In Kanata Carleton, they came fifth with just over one percent of the vote. The conservative alternative called the New Blue Party actually came fourth. They got two percent of the vote. And if we go back to Scarborough for a second, in the riding of Guildwood, the Greens came not first, second, third, or fourth, or even fifth. They came sixth with less than 1% of the vote. A party called Stop the New Sex Ed Agenda came fourth with more than 3% of the votes. And New Blue came fifth with almost 1% in the vote. All in all, a very discouraging night for the Greens. Uh, Just one last word on these by-elections. It is worth remembering that the Tories put the prestige of the Premier's office into both of these campaigns and yet lost them both, while the Liberals do not actually have a leader right now. Uh, The Liberal brand is rather unpopular at the federal level, and yet they were not only competitive, but actually won both these ridings. And uh, John Fraser, the interim Liberal leader, uh, two-time interim Liberal leader now, uh, made sure we all knew that. Doug Ford came here more than he's ever came to here, came to Ottawa more than he's ever come, twice with lots of promises. He brought his whole caucus there, all of them, all of their staff. 
They couldn't beat us. They threw everything they could at us, and they couldn't beat us. Now, JMM, by-election results either mean a great deal in terms of there being a harbinger for future developments, or they mean absolutely nothing, (laughs) because every election is unique. And in fact, there's another by-election coming up soon in Kitchener Center, a seat formerly held by the NDP. No date set on that one yet, but as we often say on this podcast when covering politics, we shall see. On to issue two. The Ontario Liberal Leadership Contest got decidedly testy last month when candidate Nate Erskine-Smith mused aloud about whether presumed frontrunner Bonnie Crombie would be able to hang around politics long enough for the Liberals to win an election, then presumably win at least one more after that. The remarks were widely interpreted as a shot at the fact that Erskine-Smith is 39 and presumably has the time for a 10 or 15-year project at Queen's Park, whereas Crombie is 63, the implication being because of her age, she doesn't have 10 years to get the Liberals back into power. JMM, this really became a thing, as the kids say, last month. So we can do the math here. If the next Liberal leader can't win the next election outright, but maybe can improve Liberal fortunes in the 2026 election, and then win the next election after that in 2030, that would put Bonnie Crombie at age 70. Uh, The implication being that that is too old to be Premier. Now, uh, Nader Smith may have wanted people to think harder about that math, but uh, Crombie turned what could be perceived as a weakness right back at him. She acknowledged that she is a 63-year-old woman with all the strengths and weaknesses that implies. And no doubt, there are a lot of women, how to put this, of of a certain age in the Liberal Party uh, who have been accustomed to having uh, younger men tell them for years uh, that they are too old to do something or they will find reasons to say that uh, the party isn't ready for a woman or that kind of a thing. Uh, In other words, I mean, if this was a campaign tactic by Erskine Smith to make people do the math, it almost certainly backfired. One thing I will say about this is that, you know, even before Crombie got into the race, when I spoke with Erskine Smith very early on in the race, before the race had even officially been called, you know, he had made a similar argument, but not in the context of Bonnie Crombie's age. He was simply saying, this is one of the assets that my youth brings to the party. We don't have to win outright in the next election. I have enough time in my political career to move forward. Obviously, it takes a different, I guess, valence, maybe. (laughs) It it, it sounds different when you are making the case specifically against another opponent, in this case, Bonnie Crombie. Perhaps he he stepped on it a little bit. (laughs) And we should check. uh, We have another candidate in the race now in uh, Dr. Adil Shamji, who is the MPP for Don Valley East. Uh, Since we signed off at the end of June, he has now entered the contest. So there are five contestants now. And he's another youngin, but I don't hear him making that kind of argument. No, no. I, I have been told that he might actually be younger than Nurskin Smith, but I, I wasn't able to confirm that before we started recording. Um, but uh, in any case, the party does not lack for candidates really across the spectrum at this point. Indeed. Now, age is a funny thing in politics these days. Our premiers have traditionally been, as they say, of a certain age when they take on the second biggest job in Canadian politics. And I did a little nosing around here just to check this out. Doug Ford was 53 when he became premier. Now, let's keep going back. Kathleen Wynne was 60. Dalton McGuinty, 50. Ernie Eves was 55. Mike Harris was 50. So you got the gist of it here. Everybody's within a certain age range. 
And then you've got a few very young ones. Bob Ray, David Peterson, and Bill Davis were all 41, much younger than the normal age. So you can see, and here's a lot of ifs coming up. If Bonnie Crombie were to win the liberal leadership, and if she were to win the next election in 2026, she'd be 66 at that point. But if she had to wait another four years to win, she'd be 70 at that point, which would be older compared to other first-time premiers. But, <laughs> JMM, but... <laughs> Go ahead. But she would not be that old compared to Joe Biden, who's 80, Donald Trump, who is 76, a Senate Majority Leader, Mitch McConnell, who is 81, or Nancy Pelosi, who was the Speaker of the House until she was 81. So when seen through that lens, 66 or 70 it doesn't seem that old, though, of course, there are people even within the Democratic Party right now who are raising the question of Joe Biden's age as a for example. Um I do want to just add, as we wrap this up, that I think this is all kind of irrelevant in a sense. <laughs> you know, we're talking about a lot of hypotheticals here, and I don't think it's actually going to end up being that complicated in practice. If Bonnie Crombie wins the leadership and then goes on to win the next election as a liberal leader, or even if she just does very, very well and supplants the NDP as the official opposition, I think the age issue is mostly going to evaporate, politically speaking. And if she puts in a performance like Stephen Del Duca's, for example, and, and loses badly again, then her age will not be the reason that people in the party try to show her the door, it will be her performance as leader. We're talking about it because it happened and because it's absolutely been an issue that was discussed in the liberal leadership race. But in practical terms, I just I don't think this is going to be something that we are going to look back on mattering much in the future. In which case, on to issue three. Should there have been a, probably a, a process, uh, another process, yes, that they're going to implement and uh, but that's that's not on the top of our list or anyone's list to be very frank it's a bunch of lawyers that are putting two initials behind their their names so good luck to those those folks but we're, we have more important issues that's premier doug ford admitting that there should have been a better process for bringing back the honorific of king's counsel for some prominent lawyers jmm i'm going to start with a bit of a story here now once upon a time if you had the right connections or if you gave money to the right political party and you were a lawyer in Ontario, the attorney general of the day would give you what was called a Queen's Council designation. And that allowed you to put the initials QC after your name. And it supposedly conveyed added prestige to lawyers who were lucky enough to get it. Bring in 1985. David Peterson's government comes into power and they decide these QCs are bogus. And I think he even had one. And so did his attorney general, Ian Scott. But both men felt these QCs were more a reflection of your relationship with the Tory government rather than any particular level of excellence in your legal practice. And so the Peterson government got rid of the QC designation. And a lot of lawyers who had them howled and they screamed unfair, but the title disappeared anyway. Okay, fast forward almost four decades. Tell us how everything old is new again. Well, the government has restored this uh, honorific, though, of course, it is no longer Queen's Council. Uh, it is now King's Council. Uh, this was apparently Attorney General Doug Downey's idea. Insofar as there was any sort of objective criteria uh, to this title, it's uh, the same as it was 40 years ago. If you're a friend of the Tory government or gave money to uh, the Tories or are a Tory MPP, specifically a, a Tory MPP who is also a lawyer, uh, you uh, could get the title. So uh, Downey, 
Academy. Uh, do we say bestowed upon himself this title? Or uh, technically speaking, of course, it's a, a grant from the Lieutenant Governor in Council. But you get the point. Uh, Carolyn Mulroney, the former Attorney General, also got the title. Uh, no uh, Liberals or New Democrats uh, were given this title. Uh, the matter of Carolyn Mulroney in particular is raising some eyebrows because uh, she wasn't even legally eligible to practice law in Ontario until days before she had the honorific bestowed. Now, we normally, you and I, don't editorialize here, but I'm going to make an exception because I must say I don't get this story at all. This is so against Doug Ford's brand, which is all about focusing on regular people and not elites. And this KC thing is all about tossing a bone to the elites. So I don't understand how the premier allowed this to happen. Or is it possible his attorney general didn't let him know it was even in the pipeline to begin with? I don't know. It's really a puzzler. I, I just like you. I, I do not understand how this made it past the premier or his office. Uh, there, there seem to be no independent criteria established for how a lawyer becomes eligible to receive a, a KC designation. You know, we mentioned no liberals or, or no uh, New Democrats getting these uh, honorifics, but before Carolyn Mulroney, uh, you know, Yasser Nakfi was a liberal attorney general served in that role, had some you know, important policy uh, brought forward as attorney general, has said he was not approached, was not invited, nothing like that. I've already mentioned that you know, uh, Minister Mulroney had been a lawyer for all of three days when she got her designation. Uh, that whole process I- itself looks, as you say, like toxic to the brand. It seems very um, ill thought through, ill advised. The premier has acknowledged at the news conference uh, that when he was asked about it, that they, they need a better process. I, I'm not like intrinsically opposed to the idea of you know, titles and honorifics as something that the government does. Obviously, we have an an order of Canada. We have an order of Ontario. We have there are baubles <laughs> that the government can bestow on people. And and like I I don't get too worked up about it. You don't do it as a uh, a sop to your benefactors, your partisan donors, that kind of thing. And it might have in fact contributed to these by-election losses we were talking about in segment one. I mean, it, the perception that this government is is um, doing a more self-dealing than people expected when they voted for them a year ago. Okay, let's finish up with another edition of Your Column, My Column, in which JMM and I let you know about our latest offerings on the TVO website, tvo.org. What do you want to draw our attention to first, John Michael? Well, we are mostly a provincial politics podcast, and we have mostly focused on provincial politics in this uh, special uh, summertime episode. But there was also a cabinet shuffle federally, and the country has a new federal uh, housing minister, Sean Fraser of uh, Central Nova. And uh, I just wrote a a column for the website about how the obstacles facing the federal government on housing policy are uh, so large that, uh, frankly, I don't... uh, I don't envy our new federal housing minister. He has a lot on his plate, probably not a lot of time to do anything that could really move the needle in the housing crisis. But because he's now the federal housing minister, he's going to have to wear the blame or responsibility or potentially maybe I'm being too pessimistic. Maybe he'll get the credit for it, too. Uh, But yes, uh, our listeners can find that at uh, TVO.org. What about yourself? Well, as you know, I kind of like to keep an eye on current and former premiers to see what they're up to. And I would note a couple of birthdays of significance. A few days ago, 
was the 94th anniversary of the birth of former Premier Bill Davis, who, of course, died two years ago next week. And my piece that's coming up on the TVO website tomorrow is about another former premier, and that's Bob Ray. And the reason I'm writing about him is that on August 2nd, he will turn 75 years old. And I was in touch with Mr. Ray about that significant milestone. I wanted to know more about the differences between the 30-year-old who got elected as a member of parliament back in 1978 and the 75-year-old who's now got an important job on the world stage. He, of course, our United Nations ambassador now. And Mr. Ray, as he always is, was very thoughtful, very reflective about how he's changed over the past 45 years that he's been in public life. So I would urge everyone to have an eye out for that piece. And of course, happy birthday tomorrow, August 2nd, to Ambassador Bob Ray. And we will have links to both of those columns in the show notes. And that is your On Poly podcast for Tuesday, August the 1st, 2023, a bit of a midsummer update. Make sure to follow our show on Apple Podcasts so that you get notified each time a new episode is available. I, I don't think we can promise any more surprise episodes for a little bit, but, uh, you know, who knows what will happen. If you already follow our show, uh, help a friend follow the show, too. This week's episode was produced and edited by Matthew O'Mara. Our managing editor is Shayer Tajvidi. Production support from Carla Lucetta and Jonathan Hallowell. Any feedback, we're always happy to hear it, good, bad, or indifferent. Write us an email at onpoliticsattvo.org. And as Premier McGinty often used to say, enjoy the summer, everyone. You'll never get it back. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you again soon. Not that soon, though. <laughs> <laughs> see you, everybody. See you, everybody.